There are few things that I enjoy less than waiting for stuff. I don't like waiting. I am a microwave it, fast food, run instead of walk, get to the point kind of guy. Like I don't want to wait a long time for stuff. I like green lights. I don't like red lights. I'd rather shoot first and ask questions later. Or what's the other one? I'd rather uh, ask for forgiveness instead of permission because I don't, I don't have time for all that. Let, you know, bureaucracy. Let's just get to it. Uh, you know, I have no clue what my Enneagram number is. I don't care. You know why? Because I ain't got time to take another test. I don't want to know. It doesn't matter. Who cares? That's, that's just me. Now, now, those are some things that I would like to believe about myself. Like, that's who I am. That's like the exterior I want to wear sometimes. But the truth is, as I've gotten older, I've recognized that there is great, great value in waiting sometimes. Like, I really appreciate a slow-cooked Boston butt. Like, pork. Like, I love it. Eastern North Carolina barbecue. Love it. And you, you, can't, you can't microwave that, man. You got to wait. You got to let the smoke go through. Or I love a slow day where I can just do whatever I want and I can just enjoy the weather. I love it. And so I can see that running 100 miles an hour through all of my life isn't healthy. It's not how we were designed to live. My kids pick on me because at Christmas time, uh, I'm the one who they're wanting to open presents early and get all the Christmas festivities over with. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's wait. Let's wait. Because I recognize like as I'm getting older, like birthdays and Christmases and years, they just, they're gone. And so I would love to take the whole month of December to celebrate Christmas and wait till the last minute to let it all go. Uh, because as soon as the Christmas tree is put away and the presents are unwrapped, like you get... It's over. It's done. And so I can really appreciate that tension between I want it now and it'll be better if you wait. So I totally get that. And I appreciate that. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you learned that over time the hard way. Maybe you put your foot in your mouth one too many times. You, you spoke instead of listening and you learned the hard way. Or maybe you rushed through a project and, and you wished you had measured twice and cut once. You know that phrase? Instead of cut once and then have to drive to Lowe's and get some more two by fours because you cut them too short. So waiting, it's not always fun, but there's a wisdom and a learning process that happens with time and experience. And so sometimes waiting can be the most important part of a process. This past week, we opened into the month of April. Can you believe that? And, uh, and, and April starts with everyone's favorite holiday, April Fool's Day. I don't like April Fool's Day. To me, April Fool's Day is like, it's basically a holiday celebrating dad jokes. And so we mostly groan when we hear about what people did for April Fool's Day. But uh, I've played part in quite a few pranks in my life. And so I can appreciate a well-planned prank. And here's the thing about pranks. Waiting is an invaluable part of a good prank. You can't just jump in too early. You can't let the cat out of the bag. You got to be like a lioness crouched in the tall grass waiting, you know, for the opportune moment to pounce on your unsuspecting prey. Last week, uh, dads all over the world were in sync apparently with this one. Uh, since virtually all schools all over the world are closed because of social distancing rules, what better joke to play on your kid than to tell them, on March 31st, that school has decided to reopen. Yeah. And so that morning, April 1st, you wake them up and you tell them they got to get dressed and you feed them breakfast and you send them off on their merry way to the bus stop on the corner or you get in the car and you drive home. And what's funny is these dads all had cameras on their kids and the kids, this is the world we live in. Kids are like, it's fine. Dad's filming me. Must be normal. 
Thanks, Dad. And so they, and then, and then the dads, they just wait. And so they waited for the, 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 they're in the tall grass and they're just waiting until they pulled into the like empty school parking lot or they, their kid was waiting at that intersection for like, I don't know, an hour, half an hour. And this moment when it's like, oh, you know what, guys, I think I made a mistake. The school's not open today. It's a holiday. Really? What holiday, dad? April fools. You know, the kids are like, ah, they'll be fine. They'll be, <laughs> they'll be fine. Some therapy. They'll be fine. Look, the word for today is wait and don't, don't hunt me down for that. Okay. I know you don't want to wait anymore. You're tired of waiting, but that's the word for today. And I think it's an important word for us to understand. We're halfway through this of first importance series and we're examining the powerful resurrection story. That's the, the foundation cornerstone of Christianity that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to the world and he died on a cross and he rose from the grave. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, we find our anchor passage for this whole series. Let's look at it. This is the Apostle Paul saying, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. There's our phrase. That's where we got that. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. So the Apostle Paul says here that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are of first importance. Later on in that same chapter, he says, this is in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So that's pretty, pretty solid, like pretty strong words. Death, burial, and resurrection. Why is it so important? First of all, I want to just say this, that I believe the death, burial, and resurrection is like a package deal. And that's what Paul's saying. It's like this package deal that God came and did this thing. That's what's of first importance. But we're actually kind of breaking it down to those three words, death, burial, and resurrection, because I think there's even more beyond the simple uh, three words. Last week, we talked about death. And next week, we're going to talk about resurrection. Next week is Easter Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe it? Uh, And so that's what Easter Sunday is all about, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, every single week at our church, when we're meeting in person, we celebrate the resurrection through communion. We do it every single week during our service. I've missed doing that with you guys. And that's why I want to make sure you know and remind you if you'd already seen it in some of the stuff we put out. Next Sunday on Easter, we're going to have communion together. And so if you get a chance to go grocery shopping this week or kind of stock your pantry with a few things, uh, get some grape juice and get some crackers. And at a, at a time next week during the service, we're going to share communion together to the best of your ability, wherever you are. Uh, and, if, and if you can't find those exact items, make do with some things that you have. The idea is to celebrate through this meal together that we share at the same time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But that's next week. That's next week. This week, we're stuck in the middle. Death and resurrection on the end. But burial is in the middle. Burial. What about the burial is so important? What can we learn from it? that'll help us build our faith in Jesus. To get there, I want to jump into some scripture. And if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 15 and verse 44 is where we start. And we're actually going to look, Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus that we see in scripture. And we're going to go right to the burial. This is verse 44, Mark 15. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. We're talking about Jesus. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. 
Okay, let's stop right here real quick. Let's introduce a couple of names. First, Pilate was a Roman official. He was the governor of this region. Uh, it was a Jewish region by nationality, but the Roman government was in charge, and Pilate was kind of like, he was in, he was the Roman official in the area. So that, that's Pilate. He's going to come up later. And then you got this guy, Joseph. A few verses earlier, we learned that his, his full name or his like identity was Joseph from a place called Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. He was a Jesus follower. And so not one of the other Josephs from the Bible. There's Joseph who is like Mary's husband. There's a Joseph in the Old Testament. There's a different Joseph. But Joseph of Arimathea wanted to honor his teacher, Jesus, by providing a grave for him. You know, and so Jesus is already dead in, in this verse. But Jesus had been through a whirlwind. In fact, just last night, Jesus had been having dinner with his disciples. He'd been betrayed by Judas, one of them, uh, one of the disciples, and, and, and some people came and arrested him. He'd been through a rushed trial by the religious leaders of their area. These guys who hated him, they charged him with a religious crime. Incidentally, he wasn't even guilty of that crime. And most of the trial that they had over the darkness of night, the night before, was actually illegal according to their Jewish legal code. But by morning, he'd been brought before this Roman governor named Pilate. And he was persuaded, uh, the, the governor was persuaded by a mob to allow Jesus to be crucified. So it's been a whirlwind. I mean, just last night he was sitting with his buddies having dinner, and this morning he'd sat before Pilate. He'd been sentenced to death. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. Now he's gone. Now, most people would have hung there much longer. You saw that, like, Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. But Jesus, he said a few things. He hung up there for a while, and then he was ready to be done. And so he just, it says, he just released his spirit back to God, and he died. Paul's there. We'll get back to Mark in just a second. I want to talk about his disciples. Jesus' disciples were distraught. Like this was Jesus, their leader. He was untouchable. How many times had Jesus simply made these religious leaders look like fools right to their faith? How many times had he simply walked away from people that were threatening him? Jesus now had told the disciples he was going to die. He actually told them that he was going to raise in three days. But they thought that's like one of his Master Yoda sayings. Oh, die I must, you know, three days and I will be back. And like, they didn't think it was like literal. Surely Jesus is going to explain these. Like he explains the parables. And, but now he's gone. And so the disciples, they had run away. They went into hiding. They were convinced that the same people that had killed Jesus were now going to come after them. Even Peter, who was the leader of all the disciples was scared. He denied Jesus three times that night that he even knew Jesus. He's like, I don't even know the man. It was only John, Jesus' closest friend, the apostle John, who stuck around for the whole like crucifixion, and he stood by Mary, and he took care of her and comforted her because Jesus had asked him to do that. And so that's kind of where we are up through verse 40, 45. Then you get to verse 46. This is again still in Mark. So Joseph brought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Again, we're talking about Joseph of Arimathea. He's got the body now. And so this grave, it's not like a grave that we would think of. It was a t like a tunnel, in, like a cave cut into a piece of, of rock. And the way they would do it is they would go and cut these tunnels. And then on the walls of the tunnels, they would kind of carve out these shelves, uh, beds really, and they would lay the bodies on the beds and they had a whole nother process they would go through as time passed. But uh, so this is, this is what Joseph has provided 
for Jesus, and he and he does the ceremonial and customary things, and he lays them in there. And then this is interesting because Pilate wanted to make sure Jesus's body stayed put. And it's interesting. You got to understand Jesus's larger following. Many of them, you got the apostles and the closest people that we read about the most, but then you had this larger following and they were kind of like a mob and they were extremely politically volatile group of people. They were pretty hype. And what they wanted was for Jesus to become King of the Jews because what they wanted was for Jesus to kick out the Romans. And so Pilate, that's the last thing Pilate wanted. Pilate, he's on team Rome. Okay. And so like, he's not trying to have anything stirred up among these Jesus followers because of this body. There was these rumors that Jesus had said he was going to raise from the dead. So he's like, maybe somebody's going to steal the body. And so this is the second half of verse 46. He does this. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. My guess is he had a soldier roll a stone, probably not Pilate himself. And it says in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. They saw him there. And then they all waited. Remember, our, our focus today is to understand the wait. Waiting isn't easy. It's not always fun. And, and it can be loaded with uncertainty. If you've ever had to wait on the results of a test, like an academic test or medical test, and that waiting can be torture. Or waiting for your kid to come home. Maybe they were out on a date or hanging out with their friends and they haven't been driving very long. You're just waiting for, to see their, their, their headlights come around the corner and into the driveway. You're just waiting. Or you're waiting for the end of this stupid pandemic <laughs> to be over. One day this week, I stood at my front door with my daughter and we just uh, we sat there and made up songs about how we were so tired of being you know stuck at home and things like that like waiting is not fun waiting and 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 when we're waiting for something that we we have an idea of what's going to happen it's a little bit easier it's still not fun it's even harder when we don't know what we should expect on the other side of this of anything i think of abraham abraham's from the old testament of the bible and god comes to him in a voice at one point he says abraham i'm going to make you great and i'm going to make your 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 offspring great and the whole world is going to be blessed by you and your family abraham now go pack up and i want you to move everybody to this place that i'm going to show you it's a great promise who doesn't want to be blessed by god some problems though Abraham didn't have any children and he was very old and his wife was past childbearing years. And so they had assumed that they weren't going to have any children. So the question of offspring being great seemed very odd. Like, okay, what offspring? Secondly, God said, go, but he didn't say where to go. So I don't know how Abraham decided which road to take. Maybe there was one road out of his like neighborhood. So he's like, okay, so go that way. And then he just waits In fact, a large percentage of Abraham's story is him waiting. It was 25 years before Abraham was finally blessed with his son. And he had no way of knowing. And that was great. Yes, God gave me a son. And that was what he celebrated. Even then, though, Abraham didn't have any way of knowing the impact this son was going to make. Like he had no idea that this son was going to be the seed of the great nation that would become the nation of Israel. And from that nation, eventually Jesus was going to come and he was going to be the salvation for the whole world. And one day we're going to have Easter and celebrate, you know, with eggs and, you know, pastel clothes. Like he didn't, he didn't know any of that great stuff. All he knew was like, well, God made a promise. And throughout the Bible, Abraham's legacy was faith. 
He's the father of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith. He's the foundation of these two major religions. And he, and, and he, and he basically has this mindset. This is his faith. His faith was, well, God is for us. He's not against us. He's got a plan. And, and so I got to honor God with my life. In fact, the greatest testament to Abraham's faith was his waiting. At least one of the top testaments. There's so much testimony that can come from waiting. And I want us to understand that it's not because Abraham was all squeaky clean and perfect during the wait. I mean, he lost trust in God. He made mistakes. He did things he shouldn't have done. But he kept returning to his faith because he trusted in God's promise. He's like, well, I haven't seen anything happen yet, but I'm going to keep trusting and keep trusting. While we wait, things can happen. And, and very commonly, one of the things that happens while we wait is pain and suffering. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about waiting. Let's look at that in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So he's talking about sufferings, but there's going to be this glory coming. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Like our experience of, of suffering that happens while we wait, it's echoed in nature. You look about the, the, the kill or be killed like life of, a, of an animal in nature and decay and all these other things. Like this is agony in nature. This is not how God created the world. He, he initially created it without suffering, without death, without pain. And on the other side of it, because of sin breaking down the spiritual fabric and the undergirding of what's going on in all the world, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Creation waits in eager expectation. Then he takes it a step farther in verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I'll be delicate here, but I'll tell you, I was with my wife in the room right next to her when she gave birth, both times she gave birth. And all I'm going to say is, wow. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Paul uses this analogy of childbirth, which is a strong analogy to compare the struggle of pain and suffering in this world with the redemptive nature of what God has planned for this world. Because I think we can all understand that the childbirth is, I'm going to use this completely <laughs> insufficient word. It's, it's inconvenient. It's unpleasant. Okay. Those of you who have gone through it, have the permission to say whatever words you want to describe it. And the, the truth is on the other side of that though, a mother is like, oh, it was worth every minute. And the joy that comes from childbirth outweighs the pain from the past 